Listen as I read our text from last Sunday, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Finally, or and now, brothers and sisters, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And then verse 3, 4, this is the will of God your sanctification. We just sang about a holy God. Holy. It means set apart. It means unlike. A holy God calls his people to holy living. A a set apart God calls his people to living set apart. An unlike God calls his people to live unlike. And uh, this sanctification that is talked about in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, it's an advancing sanctification. It's a progressive sanctification. There's positional sanctification. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are redeemed. You've been sanctified in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, There is one day going to be ultimate sanctification. We just sang about it. One day we're going to see the Lord. And like, no more sin, no more tears, no more. And and it is going to be ultimate at that point. And yet in this time, if you are saved in Christ, that sanctification is being also put into practice because of of where we live and and what's going on. And, And we're growing and changing in all of that. And it's about progressing in our walk in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. There's an intensity to it. And that's God's will for you and me. Want to know what God's will is? There you go. And now I can sit down. Um, Sometimes I wish. (laughs) Out of that, here's a question. If that's God's will for us, why is it so blasted hard then? Have you ever wondered that, thought that? I'm sure you have. Why is it so hard? Why is it such a challenge for you and me and for us to, to do that, to be that? I'm going to use my own kind of term here. Um, I'm semi-known for kind of making up words and so forth, and so I'm going to take that craft and use it one more time here. Why is that? I'm going to lay on the table that, that I think scripturally one of the reasons that we so struggle in walking in the Lord more and more is because we have spiritual amnesia disease. Yes, sad. <laughs> spiritual amnesia disease. What is that? Uh, We perpetually forget um, spiritual truths and spiritual realities that God has set before us. We just do life. And we perpetually forget a few things. We perpetually forget where we live. I don't know about you, do you know this is not heaven? This is not. We, We perpetually forget about where we live. We perpetually forget about who we live for. We're to be living for the Lord, and yet we battle every day. Do we want to make it all about ourselves? We perpetually forget how we are to live life. We perpetually forget what we just sang about, where we are going after this life. Well, let me kind of maybe package it up in kind of similar starting letters, okay, to make it a little bit easier to remember here on these four. I'm going to call spiritual amnesia kind of carries four amnesias with it. The first is location amnesia. I made mention of that. We forget where we live. Friends, this is not it. This is not the place that will bring ultimate satisfaction, ultimate joy. At what point in time are we going to learn that we continue to try and think that someone or something or some experience will bring ultimate satisfaction? We forget where we live. This is a spiritual war zone in God's plan of redemptive history, and we just continually forget where we live. Also, we have Lord amnesia. We just have this way of forgetting, really, who we live for. We can say we desire to live for the Lord. We just saying that we desire to live for the Lord, right? And yet, in the reality, in moment by moment by moment of movement of every day in situations at work, at home, with the kids on a date, with other people all around, friends and so forth, we forget at times who we are to be living for. We're to live for the Lord. We also, another one is living life amnesia. Uh, We forget how we're to live life. We just kind of think that we can make it up, do what we want, but uh, in Christ, we are called to live life in a certain way. And also, uh, kind of the last one here, going with the L's, looking ahead amnesia. 
Paul Tripp calls it forever amnesia. We forget what's down the road. We forget what's coming, friends. We forget. And what is coming matters. What we just sang about, the hope of Christ coming, the hope of face-to-face, oh, that just provides life for now. All of these matters. Well, today, today is going to be a reminder to all of us uh, as spiritual amnesiacs uh, of what our progressive sanctification looks like. Um, that means I'm going to stay big picture in our text today. There are a number of things we could dive into, a number of things even particularly about the text we could drill down into today, but I want to stay big picture today, and I want to stay big picture because I think we can easily forget, and also I'll just say because I think there's a tendency within us when we go through God's word, we want to take it into something that that actually the author right at that moment is not intending it to take it. Listen, friends, I just want for you to know today the conversation that Paul is carrying with the readers is about what progressive sanctification looks like, okay? It's not a workshop on sexual intimacy. Ah, just got your attention. Okay, it's not that. It's, but he's, what he's doing is he is helping us to see how progressive sanctification looks and how it works out. He's already defined what your sanctification call is in verse one. It's to walk in and for the Lord, for his glory more and more. That's it, that's progressive sanctification. Big word, but that's what it is. It's about more and more walking in the Lord for the Lord. And what he does here is he takes a particular subject and he hangs it on the tree such that we can grab it. Because there's kind of idea of sanctification. Man, that sounds like that's what theological brainiacs can only handle. No, Paul, holds, Paul puts it very low on the tree so all of us can grasp what's going on. So he's using a scenario to help us understand what it means, what it looks like, and how to do what God's will is for us, and that is our sanctification. So let me begin in our text. Uh, we're in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, page 987. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the chairs there, I uh, trust you have a Bible open on your lap using that. Let me read uh, the first three verses again from last Sunday, and then we'll roll from there. Finally, then, brothers, finally, then, sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so. How? More and more. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Again, your sanctification sounds like a big word. It sounds like a potentially confusing word. It just simply means a set-apart God has called his people to live set apart. And unlike any other God, has called his people to live unlike. By the way, that just kind of brings up a core question I want to toss out for us to consider. As you live life, as you do Friday nights, as you do Saturday nights, Are you more interested in trying to look like the world or unlike the world? Seriously in that. As, as we do our job, as, as, as we, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if, if you're a, a, a student going to school, you're getting ready here, uh, many of you, to head back to school here in this coming week or so, and is the goal to try and look as much like everyone, but just a hair different, or is actually the goal to look unlike? I'm not talking about be a freak. We got enough of those. But unlike. You know, it's interesting how we do life in in social circles. I remember back in my day, this is going back, but I remember back in my day when I was in high school, kind of punk and and goth was the thing. That wasn't my thing. Became the thing, and it was like, we want to be different than everybody else. What starts happening? They all look the same, they look different but they look the same. Hey, we are to look unlike, but we are to look unlike our God. 
Because our God is unlike any other. There is a sanctification call. And and let me just say this. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to move on. This is not a call to legalism. Let me say it again for some of you who either have the tendency to or have been brought up with. This is not a call to legalism. Legalism is not relationship. Okay? This is a call to relationship with God that results in life that looks unlike any others because it's looking more and more like our Savior. That's the objective here. Doug, sanctification, is it just abstract? No, it's not, because Paul here, jokingly, puts some flesh to it. Okay, And what he does, as I noted, he takes the subject that he's already stated in verse 3, defined in verse 1, and now he's giving an example of that. Okay, It's a real, living example. And let's begin reading at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Um, And here's an example. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. It's so intriguing. Of all the examples that Paul could use, I mean, Paul could use the example of anger. Paul could use the example of fear of man. Paul could use the example of fear of failure. A few of the things we referenced back here uh, the other Sunday or two ago with, with kind of progressive sanctification. He, he could have applied most anything to this, but he pulls out this one item, sexual immorality. Well, that makes it a little bit awkward for me. Um, actually, it shouldn't. Why do I say that? Because one, apparently... Sexual immorality was a real deal, and hear me on this, with God's people in Thessalonica. Okay, he he wouldn't bring it up if it had no relationship to what is going on. What's the reason, what's the purpose, what's the help in giving an example of something when it like has nothing to do with what is going on amongst you? And so what he does is he brings up a real deal issue, and I'm going to say it again, trying with an underline to it, a real deal issue of sexual immorality with God's people. This is not a conversation for those that are unsaved. Why would we expect anything different? And I don't mean that an insult to them. It's just the reality of person without Christ. There's no reason you live by the passions of your flesh. And yet here it is talking about a real deal thing with God's people. Secondly, I'm going to note in this that it's a real deal with God's people everywhere all the time, all through time. Like just go through the Bible, right? Uh, David, Bathsheba, uh, we could just go on and on and on and on. This is a real-life example. By the way, I'm going to note this as well. You go to 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul lays out some uh, examples, some items of immorality. What's the first one on the list? Sexual immorality. Well, that must have been a freak thing. No, because then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul lays out a list of items of examples of unrighteousness. What's the first thing on the list? Sexual immorality. Oh, well, that's because it's Corinth, and they were really messed up. Okay, then let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul lists out works of the flesh. What's the first thing on the list? Yep, sexual immorality. Oh, maybe then go to Colossians chapter 3, talking about things to put off, and it gives a list of, of, of sinful actions to be putting off, and it includes anger, and it includes idolatry, and it includes bitterness. And oh, by the way, what's the first thing listed? And then we are the kind of people where it's like, not talking about that, man. And yet God puts it straight up, straight out, first on the list. Does that strike you? No one wants to answer. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> Listen, the Lord knows 
And the Lord knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our struggles. He knows our sins. And you may be saying, well, that's not my struggle. Okay, awesome for you. But he's put it first on the list. And you're in the list. It just may not be first for you. Hey, listen. For those struggling with this issue, sexual immorality, the Lord knows, he understands, and he loves you. The Lord knows, and he loves you. Doug, you can't say that because now you've just condoned it. No, I haven't. And nor does the Lord. His mercies, as I read in Scripture, are how often? And I'm just guessing. Some in the room need to be reminded of that. Whatever your number one item is. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. He understands our frame. Not an excuse, but that is a reality. So why are we so stunned by sexual sin and by the sexual struggle? Why are we so stunned by any struggle? Well, let me just make a content, a comment related to this whole particular issue that Paul's put on the table. This isn't a workshop on sexual purity. This isn't a workshop on sexual uh, biblical view of sex. A part of that might be in here. But let me just make a comment to men and women, ladies. Do you know that men struggle with sexual sin? Do you know that? I'm very serious about this. I'm cutting the games. Do you know that men struggle with this issue? They do. Not my husband, not my boyfriend. I want you to lovingly say, wake up. Wake up. Does it affect how you dress, ladies? Oh, Doug, now you're really getting personal. Yep. Does it affect how you dress? Does it affect how you interact with men in light of that? Does it affect where you go with a man? Does it affect what you allow entering your man's home? Wives, does it affect your awareness of regularity of intimacy? By the way, ladies, I understand you're not immune from this. Men are stimulated visually women in a bit of a different manner. But ladies, you know the wrestling from the areas of the kind of romance books that you can read or the movies that you watch or the relationships that you entertain at work or in the community. By the way, you look at the increased percentage of who is getting more and more involved in pornography and it's women. Men, it's hard living in a sex-saturated world, isn't it? Hey, don't leave me hanging here, guys. Isn't it? Because frankly, some of the women need, to, not, women need to hear this. It's hard, isn't it, guys? It is. We're generally more sight-driven, and we live in a world that just throws it visually right in front of us all the time, Nonstop. And nowadays, it's easy access anywhere, everywhere. Guys, don't you sometimes just feel like Daniel thrown into the lion's den with this whole subject? Like, there's no hope, man. They're going to eat me alive. I just give up. Hey, the Lord understands, and I think it is so encouraging that he uses it straight up, straight out, first on the list. By the way, this is not an other's issue. Look at verse 4. That each one of you. These are God's people. 
each one of you. Maybe your struggle isn't sexual immorality sin. Maybe your struggle is something else in the list out of 1 Corinthians 5 or 6 or Galatians 5 or Colossians 3. Maybe it's something else, but it's the same idea here. It's, it's, it's this progressive sanctification, this growing and changing in Christ to be more and more pleasing for him, unto him, lives dedicated increasingly so more of him, which means in that we fall and we fail because you don't need to increase if you don't fall and fail. And yet it's more of that for the Lord's glory, each one of you, verse 4 And yet in it, God has called us to act, to be aware of it, but to act in it, to act in it as he is acting in it with us. We are to partner with him. Verse three, your sanctification. Notice in uh, verse three, it includes an action. It includes abstain from, abstain from. Abstain. What does that mean? Well, that means like to keep away from it. it. It means to maintain a distance from it, not to partake in it. Don't go there. If I'm correct, abstain means abstinence, right? Okay, like abstain from anger. Abstain from greed. Abstain from the fear of man. That's the call. Abstain from sin. Abstain from here sexual immorality. Abstaining means putting protective barriers around. In this particular issue, do you have protective barriers on your computers or on your phone? If you don't, you're a fool. I said that lovingly, right? <laughs> but it means putting protective barriers with relationships with people. By the way, at work, do you have protective barriers as far as your interactions with others at home, in the, in the community? Men, women, there should be protective barriers, just things you don't do. I just had a rule back in my business days, as I do now as well, but I just never did lunch alone with a woman, even if it meant losing a customer. I'd always bring one of my staff or something along with. Just never would do that. There are things where you just be careful about. It includes just personal limit lines, just even in your head. I just don't go there. I just can't go there. I know myself. I just can't do that. It's abstain from. That's an action that is within us. Uh, we understand that doesn't stop us from going there at times, but are there limits of abstaining from struggles of sin in life? Verse 4, there's another action. It says to exercise control. Uh, I believe the New International Version says that. Uh, uh, English Standard Version I have talks about this idea of controlling yourself. Um, there's some things with the text. I'm just not going to go there today. I'm going to stay big picture. So it's this idea of abstaining from, but abstaining from, driving the stake, having barriers. I don't go there, limits or walls. Uh, listen, it also includes that I can't go there. It, it, it involves self-control. There's just a self-control reality and an action that is built out of knowledge. I know me. I can't do that. Uh, I can't think that. I can't watch that. I can't go there. It, it, it results in actions at times like Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. Hey, hot stud boy. Sorry, just kind of keeping it real. That's the reality that was going on with it all. And he's like, I can't, I, I, I got to get out of here. Even if that means sending me back to jail, I got to run and hightail it out. Close and all. As she grabbed his garment. That, that's what, that's the control. That's action in it. it it's, there's a war going on. I don't know what the things in your life that you tend to war with in the arenas of of sin before the Lord, but it is a war. It's not a game. It's not a toy. It's a war. It is a roaring lion that wants to devour you and take you out. And at times you feel like that, don't you? Abstain from, exercise control. Protective walls are helpful, but they are not the ultimate solution. 
Look at verse 7, by the way. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God's called us to live set apart. It's hard to live set apart in a world that runs to it all. It's hard to live set apart in a world that just throws it all right out in front of us. It's hard to live set apart in a world that actually makes it all seem okay. It's hard. We live in a war zone. In fact, verse 5 says, not like the world, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Those who are without the Lord who do not know God, why are we surprised that they do what they do? And that's not an insult. They just have no reason, no equipping, no God-filling in them to want to care about, desire for, or to be empowered to battle the war. They are doing, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, what they should do without the Lord. But those who are with the Lord are to look unlike the Lord more and more. I'm going to say it again. More and more includes the reality of fall and fail. And his new mercies are new every. How often? And praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Verse 6 that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. That's interesting. It's the context he's using of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is not only a vertical sin, if you want to call it that, with the Lord, but it's also a horizontal sin. I don't have time to go into it, but the idea here is that uh, that God's people were actually, trying to keep this in the right level here, were actually having incorrect, impure, immoral relationships within God's people and a brother in Christ's wife with some other brother in Christ. Okay, we'll just leave it there. And in this, it's telling us that sexual sin is not just a vertical sin, it is also a horizontal sin against others. God designed sex for a married man and a woman. So clear in Scripture. And God glorifying sex, 1 Corinthians 7, is about giving. It's about giving. Non-God glorifying sexual intimacy is about getting. Non-God glorifying is all about getting sex. 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, talks about the idea of the, the, the marriage relationship is about the idea of giving. It, listen, getting sex is not loving another. And by the way, that can happen in a married home as well. Selfish sex, even within marriage, is not God-honoring biblical sex. It's using. As is dating sex and fiancé sex and porn sex. By the way, I wish someone had told me years ago but dating sex, fiance sex, porn sex is all about getting. It's not about loving another. Hey, if someday you date If you are, know this. Having that kind of intimacy together is not loving her. That's not loving him. That's using her. That's using him. And when you build that over time, what ends up happening is you carry that into marriage. Well, now we're married, it's all okay. No, here's part of the problem. Because over life we have developed a thing that sex is all about me, all about me, all about me, it becomes the exact same thing in marriage. And that is not the way God designed sexual intimacy to be. 1 Corinthians 7, go there, read it. It is my body is for you. And sometimes that means straight up, ladies, pick the pace up. And sometimes that means, guys, cool the jets. This is all on table today. 
And I hope you take this lovingly that God it deals with real life stuff. Okay? We don't deal in fuzzy land and sanctification is not fuzzy. That's why Paul brings it to something literally to put flesh to it. To hang it low so that we all can see the reality of it. Sexual sin is a horizontal sin. Uh, verse 6. Sexual sin is also a vertical sin against God. Um, Boy, this just feels like camping now, doesn't it? (laughs) Rain coming down on the roof. Verse 6, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. (laughs) That, That word's a cool word nowadays just because of comic books, isn't it? God is an avenger! Okay, but understand this, that is true in this, but know this, what God is saying, he is an avenger of this issue. And by the way, it's in the context of speaking to God's people. And oftentimes we have the idea that God is an avenger of those who are not his, but the context is God is an avenger within the reality within his people on this issue. Know that. The Lord is an avenger in these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly sworn, warned you, end of verse 6. Friends, sex is not an animal instinct. It's not an unpurpose activity. Christian, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Sex was created by God, designed by God, purposed by God, and God is not embarrassed by it. He's the one who made it. He's the one who designed it, and therefore he has the right to put the parameters around it. And the fact that he is holy and set apart and unlike makes it even better because he is going to, as the one who created it and designed it and purposed it, the one who is holy and without messing it up or doing anything wrong is going to make it just perfect, and he wants us to enjoy what he created, right? That's God's design. By the way, isn't it maddening when someone messes with your stuff? You know, it's fine to let people borrow and use some of your stuff, but then when someone, like, takes it and, like, wrecks it or, or disses it, it's like, dude, what's the deal with that? You just messed my stuff. And, uh, by the way, God is the avenger of when we mess with his stuff. But also in that, know this, his mercies are new every morning. And there's a tendency when we teach these to either come across like God is the hammer who is ready to crush you in your struggle with sexual sin, and, or we come with it and go, you know what, God designed it, made it, and he's great with it, just whatever. No, 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 it's both. A loving, merciful, gracious God understands our sins, whatever they might be. He deals with it straight up. He does have a hammer. He is the avenger. But his mercies are new every morning. And again, some of you need to hear that. He loves you. You are his. He is with you. He holds you. He wants more and more growth in you. That's what he desires. I want to kind of bring this to this place of kind of saying, understand, Paul is not bringing a workshop on sexual intimacy. He's teaching what God's will is and using that as an example, a real example that God's people struggle with and we're struggling with here. Okay? And the core of it is our sanctification battle is God said, but I want, right? I mean, you, whatever that might be. God said, but I want. God thinks, but I think. Uh, God willed, but I will. And what it's supposed to be, sanctification here is talking about God's will becomes less, wait, God's will becomes more and more what we want. God's ways become more and more what we want. God's thinking becomes more and more what we want. Less and less of my thinking, more and more of God's thinking. Less and less of my will, more and more of God's will. How do we then develop that? How do we develop that desire for? It's, it's this. Understand who your God is deeper. Deeper. 
Listen, you can put the barriers, you can set the parameters, absolutely, uh, abstain and exercise control, but I'm telling you, friends, the core of all this, that what drives people who are more and more honoring the Lord with their life, the answer, the core answer to it all is having a deeper and deeper love for who he is. And if you're not all that impressed with God, if you're not all that taken back by God, if you're not all that consumed by who God is, let me just say the answer is this. You're going to act like that. Am I right? And so if we want to more and more, what does it do? We have the tendency to go to legalism. Barriers. True. Man up. Woman up. There's a truth in that. But the core of all this before the lights go out is that, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Hmm. Let me think about that. Matthew 22. And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Oh, and by the way, I can't leave that subject without also Jesus saying, and others. And friends, the hope and the help in all of this is that God is a merciful God, a gracious God, a loving God, a redeeming God. And our call, my call to us, is not to head to legalism, but to head to loving the Lord more. And that means understanding who he is and getting more and more consumed by who he is putting off spiritual amnesia and putting on who the Lord is. So let me finish with going back to our four things here. Our location amnesia. We constantly forget where we live. And so in the struggles of life, whether it's you are right now at some point in time tempted to go there on the computer or to blast off in anger or to have bitterness, or to run into greed, you have to remember where we live. We live in a war zone. And we should not be surprised that we're at war with things like that. So often people, especially in the area of sexual morality, I can tell you in talking with men about it, they think and they desire and they truly want. I mean, who doesn't want just all sin gone, right? It's not going to happen here. The goal is to never be tempted again. The goal is more and more of responding to please the Lord. You're going to continue to be tempted, but I don't want to be tempted. Got it. I'm with you. The goal is to understand where we live This is not heaven. We live in a spiritual war zone. And just reminding me of that, I'm in a war. Secondly, reminding myself, because I tend to have Lord amnesia, to remind myself who my Lord is. And he's awesome. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he has equipped you. And he has called you. And he is with you. In fact, the end of the passage talks about, uh, it gives us the Holy Spirit. He has given the Holy Spirit to you to empower you, to work through you, to assist you. My God is awesome. And we forget that. Right? When we're in the heat of the moment, at home, at work, at school, we need to remember, remind ourselves of that. We need to continually be putting in front of ourselves that we live life for him because we have the tendency to have be amnesiacs about living life. Like, we're here just to, like, have a blast. Hey, just do it. What? Man, that's distracting. Hang with me here. And so we constantly forget how to live. We are to live in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. In the Lord, for the Lord, more and more. With me. In the Lord, 
for the Lord more and more. One more time. In the Lord, for the Lord more and more. Just imagine if all the time, every day, throughout all the events, I just reminded myself of that. It's not a guarantee that I'm going to respond rightly, but just imagine if I'm reminding myself of that. And then the last one, looking ahead, amnesia. As I've already said, this is not our home. Revelation 21 talks about a home that will be. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. I'm ready to go. I'm just telling you. You know how you grow up and you're like, I want to get married and then I want to have kids and I want to have grandkids. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Um, And when you understand what's ahead, it helps to make sense of what is now. Because in this war zone, this war zone that we reside in is not eternal. It's for a season. It's for a lifetime. And yet then it's with the Lord. And the fact that we are promised and we are secured helps me to press on here as I look towards there. But we are here right now. We are here right now. And we are here to live in the Lord, for the Lord, more and more, right? Imagine going through days at school, at home, at work, Reminding myself of where I'm at. I'm right here in this time of redemptive history and sin is a war and we live in a war zone. I'm remembering that the the Lord is my Lord and he loves me and he is walking with me. He understands everything and he knows he will not allow anything to come into my life that will take me out. But yet he is not a God who's loving me to pamper me. He is a God that is loving on me to perfect me. And my God loves me so much he will even allow things to come into my life to be able to help push me and grow me. And oftentimes we're like, I want to get out of it. I just want out of it. I just so bad want out of schooling right now. I mean, that might be someone else. (laughs) I just so bad want out of it. And yet the Lord's like, nope, James 1. Hold there, hold there, hold there. I've got something for you to learn in out of it. Because every time you jump out of it, I'm just going to tell you what. I'm going to bring you right back into it again because I have a, a, a perfecting work to do in you. And if you just want to be like the watermelon seed that when you push on and it just shoots out and away from problems and conflict, God's going to be like, okay, I can just grab a hold of the, the, the watermelon seed and I'm just going to put it right back and I'm going to allow life to come again because I have some perfecting work to do in you that you would become more like myself. And by the way, when you fall and fail, I love you because I understand your struggles. I know what they are. Sheep are not that smart. And I'm the great shepherd that loves you. And Owen, by the way, we are called to live in a way to bring glory for him, for his honor. And and by the way, one day this is going to be done and over with and with the Lord forever. Can you imagine just even going through that work in our mind within a matter of a couple seconds how that would change life? Listen, loved ones, the central battleground for living out God's will is right here, okay? Biblically, biblically, it talks about the heart. Back in that day, that's what we talk about when we point here, the, cell, the, the center of you. This is where the war takes place, your sanctification. And the war that takes place up here shows itself and the fruit of what we do. I remember with our kids, um, Luke, pick up the toys. Parents, teachers, you know what I'm talking about? And then you look and you see them thinking. And it's like time stops. Luke, pick up your toys. And then you watch him. 
and what's going on up here. I so don't want to pick up my toys right now. I mean, I'm just going to get them out again tomorrow. <laughs> this is useless effort. I was at three years old. <laughs> Emily, are you going to choose to obey or disobey? Let me think that one through, and time stops. I loved, seriously, I loved those moments as a parent. And they're just processing it through. Let's see. I could not do it, and this is what that would look like, and then this is what that would result in. If I do that, then this is what will happen, and then this is what that will result in. I loved that. And by the way, I don't want to humanize God too much, but as I see in Scripture, our God takes glory in that exact process right there. Because that is when, in the thinking process of how I am about now to respond in life, that is the progressive sanctification going on within me. Am I going to live life for me, or am I going to do this for the Lord? And what's the basis for it? And in that, I will tell you, I never expected our kids to answer it correctly 100%. But I did expect this, as time goes on for them to learn more and more and Lord willing that they would respond more and more pleasing unto the Lord, right? And our Father desires to glory in you and I. And I would suggest it's literally the same thing. There is great glory unto the Godhead as they are involved in Christ having redeemed us, the Spirit empowering us, and the fact that we can even do that thinking through it in our mind is God working in us for the glory of the Father in that. And then when we process that through, instead of being amnesiacs, if we engage in that process, work it through, sometimes we will fall and fail, right? And his mercies are new every morning. Doug, you just can't do it like that because then it's going to cause people to sin freely. Listen, I am not going to go to legalism. I am not, not, not going to go there. I am going to champion grace. Not grace to be able to run to sin, but grace because God's people are so often discouraged, feeling like failures that God could never love them, is sick and tired of you, right? Am I right? And yet God loves you in this. And so it's pick up, Lord, I was wrong, let's roll. And let the process bring great glory to the Lord. In fact, even when we choose wrongly, when we come and we confess our sin unto the Lord, he takes glory and delight in that, friends. So maybe today for you, it's, you're at that place where I just have some sins to confess unto the Lord. And he takes glory in that. Come to me, all of you who are weak. I will give you rest. If that's you, come, come unto the Lord here right now when, as we pray. Maybe for you, you're in the battle. And this is a call reminder. Oh, oh, it is hard. It is so hard to choose what is right unto the Lord, isn't it at times? Because it's like everything within us at times just wants to run the other way. But we are not here for ourselves. We are here in and for the Lord more and more. Maybe for some right now, you just need to be reminded Listen, friends, this, what we just talked about today and last Sunday and the Sunday before, this is the core of the walk with Christ. This is what it's about. This is where the rubber meets the road. More and more of it in us, right?
Let's pray. Lord, I just pray even right now, maybe some people are going to come to you right now and just confess some things going on in their heart. I'm just going to allow a little bit of quiet time here for that. And so we just come to you, Lord, here right now. Come to me, all you who are tired and weary. I will give you rest. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. (laughs) Romans 7. I want to do what's right, but it's just like I can't, Paul says. I desire to honor the Lord, and yet I fall and fail. Oh, sinner that I am, he says. But he gives the hope of the grace and the power and the love of the Lord. And so, Lord, that's what we do. We just lay before you your awesomeness. You are holy. You are set apart. You are unlike any. We're we're not interacting with a a concept. We're not interacting with a philosophy. We're not interacting with nothing. We are interacting with the creator and God of the universe through the work of Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God, you are awesome. And we lose sight of how marvelous you are and how set apart you are. And, and we get just, we struggle to... to, to having our feet down on the ground and getting lost in it all. And oh God, would you just encourage us and help us and come alongside us. Spirit of God, would you just do a work in the renewing aspects of our mind. Oh, spur within us a desire to remember our location, to remember our Lord, and to remember the life that we are lived to call and to remember where all this is going and that we will live with you one day in eternity and so we can continue on to do what's right. Oh God, You are awesome. And we live in a spiritual war zone, Lord. It's tiring, it's hard, we're weak. We need your help, so we beg. We cry out. Oh God, we're weak, would you help us? And you say you will. So God, I call that we would engage with you. What you've called us to do, you have equipped us to do. And may we we engage in the reality of who you are and the equipping work that you have done. And God, this week, may this week be more in you, for you, more and more. Less of me, less of us, more of you. More of you, Lord. Because, well... You're awesome. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.